This is episode 226 of the Beyond the Food Show, and today we're going to talk about something we have yet to cover in over 225 plus show, fertility and pregnancy, more specifically in the context of women that have a non-thin body or high BMI women. And we have two guests for this podcast, Nicola Salmon and Ashley Duro. By the way, this is my first threesome. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Going to Beyond the Food Show. I'm Stephanie Dozier, clinical nutritionist and emotional eating expert, creator of the Going to Beyond the Food Method and founder of the Going to Beyond the Food Academy. Corporate executive turned health expert with my own journey with weight, body image and food. It's now my mission to help smart, successful women like you live confidently right now and unconditionally. Ready, sister? Let's do this. Hello, sisters. This is Stephanie here. Now, did I make you giggle with the intro? I giggle for myself too. And yes, it is really my first threesome, but a different kind of threesome than your mind is going through right now. I have two guests for you today. But just before we get into that, if you're listening to this podcast live, which means at the beginning of February 2020, It's been quite a busy week for us over the last two weeks here and the Going Beyond the Food Academy, our signature program, the Going Beyond the Food Academy, our transformational program that help women make peace with food and body um, is about to close. So that's where I teach everything about the Going to Beyond the Food method. Therefore, if you were interested to join us in 2020, this is it. You have until uh, late Thursday, February the 13th to catch up with us. And then we are going to get started on our six month journey. Now back on today's topic. Um, Before you decide or not to listen to this episode, because perhaps you are no longer seeking fertility, or you're done with pregnancy, stop right now. You have to listen to this episode if you are a woman. This has, yes, to do with fertility, and yes, it has to do with pregnancy, but this is a strong issue for all women. I'm 44 years old. I have decided to not have kids in my life for personal choices, But this is my story too. This is a feminist issue. You need to educate yourself and understand how other women are being treated in today's world and why saying no to diet culture is not just your issue. It is a feminist female issue. Now, let me give you a little bit of context as to how this podcast came together It's the beginning of December 2019. I was looking at Instagram and the stories, and I was looking at Ashley Duro's stories. Now, for those who don't know, Ashley is a fashion stylist, and she's someone that I'm working with, and we've been actually doing a lot of content together. Um, Ashley has voluntarily exposed her own journey of making peace with food and body publicly, and she's um, doing session publicly with me. So if you want to know what it is like to work with me, 
head over to our Instagram account and you will see um, a number of videos. I can't remember. We must be up to like 20 videos of work we've done together. But anyway, so she's a client of mine and a friend and I was watching her story and she was sharing stories about fertility and how people in her audience, women, were being denied fertility treatment because of their weight. I was like, what the heck is that? And the more she was sharing stories after stories after stories of so many women in the same situation or women being mistreated by their doctor during pregnancy because of their weight, women told to diet while being pregnant. I'm like, what the F, not to use the bad word, like this goes against everything, not only that I know personally, but professionally, like, how can you tell someone to diet while they're being pregnant? And I had, I had to do something. I contacted Ashley. I'm like, is this like odd? Or is this something that happened very frequently? And she just unloaded like, no, this happens all the time, over and over and over again. I'm like, okay, like, we got to do something. I got to use my platform to a bring together a resource for all women that are in a higher BMI seeking fertility treatment or women, a high BMI that are pregnant and what they need to consider, what they need to do their rights and giving them like a resource. And then two, we're going to bring awareness to this topic. Like this has to stop. So one of the principles that I live by is the fact that I've reached an age in my life in a wisdom level that when things are not in my area of expertise, I have no problem saying, I don't know, let me find out someone who does. And that's what I did for this podcast episode. I brought over another health expert that is an expert in fertility in higher BMI range. And also I brought on Ashley because I do not have a lived experience with either fertility or pregnancy. So how can I ask good question when I have no clue what I'm talking about? So this is my first threesome. I'm just there because it's my podcast. But beyond that, the girls work together to poll you, the audience about fertility and pregnancy, they pull together some core question. Ashley interviewed Nicola, which is the expert. Nicola answered, and I was just tagging along, like filtering through the question and lining up the question. But beyond that, that was their episode. So I, I can't wait for you guys to listen. So a little bit of background on each individual in case you don't do not know them. Nicola Salmon is a fat positive feminist fertility coach and the author of Fat and Fertile. Uh, Nicola is from the UK. So you're going to hear all kinds of accent today between mine and hers. She's a naturopath and an acupuncturist practicing in supporting fat women who want to get pregnant using her fertility framework. Ashley, as I mentioned earlier, is a stylist, a client of mine as well, and she hosts a blog at the Duro House, 
And you can find her mainly on Instagram. She's an amazing woman who is an open book and share her journey, not only in motherhood, but also with recovering from diet culture. So these are the two women that are going to be doing the interview. We're going to talk about the validity of the claim around the difficulty of getting pregnant in a bigger body, true or not, how to stay positive while trying to get pregnant in a fat body, um, how to stop focusing on weight and what to do instead, the current state of being pregnant in a higher body weight, how to engage with your medical team and your rights in your treatment process. We're also going to talk about PCOS. We're going to talk about fertility treatment and also fertility, quote, diet, end quote. Ready, sister? Let's do this. Ladies, welcome to the show. Hi. Hello. So we have Nicola and we have Ashley. And so this is going to be, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, a very special episode because like I've never done a threesome. So this is my first threesome. (laughs) (laughs) So I am, I'm going to literally step back and let a lot of conversation between Ashley and uh, Nicola happen. But I would like to start with your story. How did you came to take a particular, in the case of Ashley, a lived experience with fertility and body size, and Nicola being the expert. So how about if we start with Ashley and move on to Nicola's story? Sure. If you're listening or if you've followed along with me in the past, you know that I've been kind of in this recovery from chronic dieting and um, all of that throughout my whole life. So um, I've always had a regular cycle and period. Um, and I, I didn't per se have difficulties getting pregnant. However, my mindset before getting pregnant for the first time was, oh, I've really got to get in the best shape of my life. I've got to, um, you know, adopt this new lifestyle, uh, because, I want to be the healthiest I can be to get pregnant. Um, This is during, Steph, this is during the time where I was completely engulfed in over-exercising, excessive exercising seven days a week, um, totally clean eating, eating nothing but vegetables and proteins pretty much. So um, looking back, I think about how stressed out my body must have been, but I did... um, I had a chemical pregnancy during that time. And then I got pregnant. It took us about five months to get pregnant. Um, so not like a super long time, but still enough to, to be a little bit stressed about it. Um, and got pregnant instantly gained 30 pounds within the first two months. And my, um, my OBGYN at the time was very, uh, I was very obsessed with wellness or, you know, wellness, diet culture and like my diet and eating and exercise routines. And um, she very much played into that. I would not say that I would blame her for that, but every visit I went was, 
well, you know, we've, you're, you're about to reach the maximum weight you're supposed to, um, you're supposed to be at, and you're only four months pregnant at this point, those sorts of comments, the nurses always commenting on weight gain and, um, just, it, it was just a very weight focused environment. And I was already in that headspace before. So I pushed myself in that pregnancy to continue only eating salads. I ended up in the ER um, at five or six months pregnant because I kept like passing out. And the ER doctor ran tons and tons of tests. And he was like, you're just not eating enough. You need to eat carbs. And I was like, my doctor told me I needed to stop eating carbs because that's what was making me gain weight. And he was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So that was like an eye opener to me. Like, wow. Okay. And then I still pushed myself to go to exercise classes and stuff. And I I really, I gained probably 75 or 80 pounds with that pregnancy. Um, And then for my second pregnancy, I totally changed doctors because of several reasons. One of them being, I just wanted, hopefully I would be going to someone who would not talk to me about weight. And, um, just thankfully I ended, I I didn't do research on it, but I thankfully ended up at a really good, um, place that has been very respectful to me towards all of that. Like they don't even tell me what my weight is or anything like that. So that ended up being my second pregnancy ended up being a positive experience um, until, (laughs) so I didn't gain as much weight with Pearl, my second baby, because I, um, I mean, I was already kind of at my, what do you call it? Set point, like probably where I just normally will be in my life. So I only gained about 30 pounds with her, but I was very, very, very big. And I was seeing a specialist every other week because my first daughter had health issues. Um, And this specialist was an older gentleman (laughs) and he was very kind to me. But every time I went, he would comment on how big I was and, um, as it got closer to the time that you do the gestational diabetes test, he said, I, I don't want to, I don't want to like make an assumption here, but I'm about 99% sure that you have, um, gestational diabetes. So I'll be very curious to see what your results are tomorrow. You go to your OB and they do that. And I just left feeling like, so angry about that. And it was like so hurtful because he also said it like it's because of your size and because of how big the baby is and because of how much fluid, you know, it just, it was, he said it in a very shameful way. So of course I go and get my diabetes test done and all that. And I passed it with flying colors. And so when I went back in, I looked at him and he was immediately, he knew that he had done wrong. He was like, I'm really sorry. I said what I said last time and that did it. But all of that to say, I, so my history with pregnancy and everything isn't so much that I struggled with fertility, but, um, it just, 
it opened my eyes up to a lot of weight stigma that is within the medical community. And um, my audience, I have lots of messages all the time, like, because they know that I've had babies all the time being asked, did you have trouble conceiving? Um, you know, we're, I'm on a fertility journey right now and I really need some encouragement. My doctors are dismissing me because of my weight, all these sorts of things. And so, um, I mean, an overwhelming amount of my audience are trying to conceive right now and are plus size. And so I have, um, I'm just really interested to hear your story and hear, um, I know they all sent in questions. And so we have a lot of things to talk about. And I'm just so excited to hear what you have to say. And as it all ties into weight stigma in the medical world. So thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much for sharing that, Ashley. Yeah. Um, So my journey started when I was 16. I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, uh, PCOS. And with that diagnosis, um, the doctor told me that I would never be able to have kids. So at 16, I was, I mean, I didn't really process it at the time because at 16 years old, I wasn't thinking about a family. But looking back now, I can really see how my grades dropped, how my self-confidence plummeted, like I didn't trust my body. And obviously the um, treatment plan was weight loss. That was what I was told I needed to do in order to quote unquote, cure myself of PCOS. So that was really the start of kind of intense yo-yo dieting for me. Um, And that continued through my teens and my 20s. And it wasn't, you know, I met my husband, we got married, I was doing my career stuff. And um, I trained as an acupuncturist and a naturopath and specialized in fertility because of my own stuff. I was really interested in hormones and stuff because I was dealing with it myself And um, I trained as a fertility coach because I really saw in my practice that there was this huge gap with the acupuncture that I was doing. I wasn't supporting people emotionally. And anybody who's going through wanting to get pregnant can understand that it's a huge toll on your emotions and your mental well-being. So it was really important for me to fill that gap. And then I was getting married at this point and kind of all my personal stuff was going on and... I got pregnant and it was just about the time we were thinking of trying and I was shocked because I was told and I believed that I was going to really struggle to get pregnant and that I was going to have to go through IVF and that it was going to be a real battle and that I would have to have lost X pounds before I was able to do this. So I was gearing myself for this war that didn't happen and I spent my whole first pregnancy terrified of what was going to happen because like you, I was immediately labeled high risk. I was told that I was going to get all these conditions. My weight was mentioned through the whole pregnancy. And it really came to head when I wanted to give birth. I wanted to have a home birth, a water birth. And I was told outright, no, you are too big. The midwives will not be able to lift you up if you kind of fall or if there's a problem. Um, your baby's going to get stuck. All this stuff was, you know, kind of told to me. So it was the very first time in my life I decided to kind of take a stand against the medical advice I'd been given. And I researched about people in bigger bodies, having home births, having water births. I got the information and I fought back and I told them, this is what I wanted. This is the evidence that I found. And this is what we're going to do. 
And it's the first time I realized that I had control over my own healthcare and my own body. And that was such a powerful moment for me. And in the end, I didn't have a home birth because he had meconium in his waters and all this other stuff happened. But I was so proud of myself for having that appointment, for standing up and for, t- for talking through that because I was so used to being a good girl and just doing what I was told and following the doctor said, and it was, it was powerful. Um, and then once my eldest was a year old, I got pregnant again with my son, again, not planned, but so welcome, you know, we're so lucky. We're so um, blessed with our children. But again, it was this, it planted this seed of, okay, well, you know, why was this so easy for me when I've been told that it's going to be so difficult and so many other people are told that people in bigger bodies are going to struggle to get pregnant. And, and especially with having PCOS, PCOS too, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. at this point, my cycles were 100 plus days long. They were incredibly irregular. I was in a bigger body, you know, all these things, like yeah. factors were against me, yet it was easy. And I was just like, this is mad. Like, I'm so fortunate, but what is going on? Why was it so easy for me when it biologically should have been impossible? Um, and it was when my son was about 18 months old that I realized I did not want to pass on my dieting and my body image stuff and all that stuff that I was in the way I was talking around my body and how I was showing up around food. I was just like, no, this ends now. I am not passing this on to my children. I don't want them to have to see me go through that in the same way that, you know, I saw my mum go through dieting and, you know, that really passed on a lot of kind of issues around food and the way I saw myself. And so I was like, no, I'm going to quit dieting and quitting weighing myself. And then I was left with this big hole because I wasn't sure who I was as a woman who is in a bigger body, but not dieting. Like that was such a huge part of who I was. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really sure what my health was going to look like, what I was going to eat, like how I was going to be in the world. But the thing I noticed most of all was that I had so much more energy, like mentally, emotionally. Once I stopped dieting, I was just like, oh my God, I felt like I could breathe again because mm-hmm. I didn't have to think about like all this stuff every single day of like, well, what am I going to do next? And what am I going to eat next? And oh my God, I feel so crap about eating that and all that stuff that goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And then I was so fortunate enough to kind of stumble into Instagram at this time and found other people who were living in bigger bodies and not dieting and I found the health every size community and the intuitive eating community and I was just like oh my god this is phenomenal like how did I not know about this before where have these people been hiding and I was just so blown away and the more I read the more excited I got about it and I'm you know kind of as I was doing my fertility stuff I was like there is nobody talking about this stuff there is nobody supporting people in bigger bodies who want to get pregnant without this like weight loss mentality of like, well, you've got to lose weight. You've got to cut out the carbs, cut out the dairy, cut out this, cut out that. And I was like, this is ridiculous because when they're restricting their bodies like that and they're dieting, then they're just, you know, exacerbating the problem and making it more difficult for themselves to get pregnant. So I was like, I've got to talk about this. I've got to find out more. I've got to research this. I've got to talk about this because there's nobody else to do it. And I know that in a parallel universe it would have been me that was struggling and that didn't have the energy to speak up for myself didn't have the capacity to to do this work and because I've got my boys because 
my family's complete now. I have that emotional energy to give to this work and to be able to stand up for these women because nobody else is. And it was just, you know, the stories I hear every day break my heart because these people are not being treated fairly. They're not being given yeah. appropriate care. They're being told the most ridiculous things with by their healthcare professionals, people that they should be able to trust. And it just shows this kind of systemic problem that we have in our healthcare systems that needs to change. So absolutely. That's kind of what got me here. <laughs> yeah. And I actually I had um this whole conversation kind of started on my platform a few weeks ago. Um when somebody wrote me and said something about my um my doctor told me I need to lose all of this weight to get pregnant. What are your feelings on that? And I chimed in and I I put it in my stories and just said, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a professional, but I just think that there's no way that your body is gonna be as functional when you're depriving it. You know, I said something along those lines. I got so many messages about that from women who are like, hands down, I had the hardest time getting pregnant. And once I stopped dieting and I started feeding myself, I got pregnant. And I'm not saying that that is necessarily like the cure or the a fix to like help your fertility, but it was just so interesting to hear that. Like once these women started nourishing themselves and, and quit trying to lose weight and make their bodies smaller is when things started functioning like they're supposed to. So, so how about if we start with that first question, Ooh. right? That your community submitted, Ashley, which is, is it true that people in bigger body have difficulty getting pregnant? Is it true? So for me, the answer is completely not. Like for me, pers- from a very personal experience, my body mm-hmm. gave birth, got pregnant really easily in my fat body. And for so many people that I see as well, like Ashley said, you know, once people start, stop dieting, stop re- seriously restricting the calories that they're consuming and begin to support their bodies with the fuel it needs, then the body can start to think about reproduction because when your body's in starvation mode, yeah. reproduction is the last thing on its mind, right? Like your body needs to survive. And if you're in survival mode, then there's no way your body's thinking about reproducing because it's not going to bring a baby into a world that where it feels that there's a famine or it's kind of less chance of it thriving. So it makes complete sense on a biological level that when you're starving yourself or when you're dieting or when you're kind of cycling through restriction and binging um, and kind of your body feels like there's no constant supply of food or resources, that your body's going to decide to put its resources elsewhere rather than reproduction. So for me, it makes yeah. complete sense yeah. that it's the weight cycling and the yo-yo dieting that's actually the root cause of fertility issues, which people in bigger bodies have a lot of time in their past and experiencing currently. So I feel like that's the correlation rather than being in a bigger body itself. Yeah. How, how do I stop? So the next question after that was, how do I stop then focusing on my weight to help my fertility? So I feel like the biggest puzzle piece in that is to understand that it's not your body that's the problem that it is the fact that we are in a system where fat is demonized we're in a system where 
people, medical healthcare professionals see people in the bigger bodies as unhealthy and as bad. But once we begin to unravel that picture and once we begin to see that our bodies are phenomenal, our bodies are capable of incredible things when we give them the tools that they need, then we can almost begin to see weight as irrelevant. And so much of the research shows that it's the things that you do, it's the healthy promoting behaviors that you partake in that has the really positive impact on your health, regardless yes. of whether you gain weight, lose weight, stay the same weight. It's the things that you're doing and that you have control over that's going to make the biggest impact on your mental health and your physical health. And that's stuff we can control. So that's amazing because all of a sudden you've got things that you can be doing every single day in your life that you know are going to positively support your health and your fertility. And I want to say to this, it is the same cases when we have a clinical conversation about diabetes, right? Yeah. We have thin people who have diabetes and we have fat people who have diabetes. Fertility is the same. We have women that are in the thin body and have been in their thin body their whole life and that have fertility issue and the same one that have a bigger body a fertility issue. So problem is not the layer of fat. It's something else underneath the hood that mm -hmm. creates that struggle with fertility. Mm, totally. So the other question is then how do I advocate for my body with my doctor who won't treat me? Like I'm assuming there's a lot of women going to their doctor to say, I have a fertility issue. And then I assume the first line of defense on the doctor is like, well, you're fat. So for sure you won't get pregnant. Or I, I think some other people wrote in later on, um, what do I do if my doctor refuses to treat me because, and just wants me to go lose weight and then come back? What, what do I do then? Mm, and it's such a common story. Like I want people to realize that they are not alone because we almost hide this because it's shameful like we're told that our bodies are a problem we're told that our bodies are the reason we can't have babies and that is shameful that makes us feel like it's all our fault and there's nothing you know like we've tried so many times to lose weight and we just if we could just get this one thing right then we'd be able to have our babies and that's not the truth at all and you are not the only person going through this there are so many other people that are being told the same thing and I wish that we didn't have to advocate for our bodies in this system, but it's the position that we're in right now where we have to really be difficult patients and we really have to start asking difficult questions. And it takes a lot of emotional energy. It takes a lot of, you know, kind of grit to get there and to ask these questions and, you know, get all the support you need from partners, from friends. Um, but yeah, it's about asking those tough questions. So you can ask them, what would you do if I was in a thinner body? What treatments yep. would you ask? What treatments would you give? What tests would you run? Um, you can ask them for the evidence that they are giving you that recommendation from. So kind of what research papers show that if I lose X pounds, it's going to have this effect on my fertility. What evidence have you got to show that by, you know, kind of losing this amount, it's going to positively impact my IBF? And the answer is like, so much of the research isn't actually there and they just mm -hmm. pick out these numbers out of thin air and they're using these BMI barriers that are completely arbitrary that are just, you know, picked because they're a convenient number. So it's, it's about really questioning and digging into their fat phobia and their biases around big bodies to get to the root cause. And then a great tip yeah. is to, if they say no, say, can I please 
write that down in my record. Show me that you've written that down. Because as soon as you start creating this mm. paper trail and this kind of, they've got then responsibility for making that decision. All of a sudden they're like, okay, well maybe we can run that test. And maybe because they don't want the book to stop with them, right? They don't want to be responsible. If later down the line, if you find out you've got endometriosis or something else going on that they could have fixed in that moment. So, yes. It's I like that advice. Get them to write down that they've declined treatment because of your weight. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That's and powerful. it's really powerful. Well, and it's also, and this can go into other things besides fertility too, just in the medical sure, sure. world, but for um for a doctor to look at you and see how much you weigh and then to assume based on that that you don't have a healthy diet, uh, or a healthy mental health situation to all of that. It is just so wrong. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I encourage people to advocate to when they're in there, like, okay. And what, what is telling you that just because I weigh 250 pounds, how do you know that I don't exercise, you know, four days a week? And how do you know that I don't eat exactly what my body needs to fuel it? You know, things like that. I think, um, at this point, Stephanie has helped me realize how much, um, how much power we just give to these doctors, um, that really don't, we need to like take our power back. So can I ask one more question? And this is probably going to show my lack of lived experience and expertise in this field, but women that perhaps have been trying for a year to get pregnant and want to engage in fertility treatment, whatever they are, is it possible that they're declined from receiving such fertility advanced treatment because of their weight? A hundred percent. So many clinics have a barrier, whether that's a BMI of 30, 35, sometimes higher, but it, it's there. And so many clinics restrict purely on your BMI, regardless of any other health. Factors. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. It's and this is, and, and correct me if I'm, maybe Ashley can say, I know in Canada, this is outside of the free medical coverage. Like this is paid personal treatment. Is it the same thing in the U.S.? Is a paid personal treatment? So. It's covered by insurance? Well, it can be, it really varies from insurance to insurance. I know, I actually have a lot of close friends who have gone through IVF. Um, that I have a friend whose husband has really great insurance coverage and they paid five grand each time and they've done it twice. Um, I have another friend who had to pay 35K each time. I had, you know, so it's like, it's very... Um, so it's paid know. services and they still decline it. That blows my mind. This is, I don't know anything about this. So what do we do then? What does that woman do? Change clinic? So we have to push back. So we, yeah, I mean, there are some friendly clinics and BMI clinics that don't do that for BMI. But again, it's not, there's no easy directory. It's something that I want to do, but it's not something I've been able to do yet of like creating a directory. And I think for the most part, people... Most women who are in that situation, we have to assume, don't understand that they hold the power. Like, you know, like unless they've been in other medical situations prior to that where they learned how to advocate for themselves, they're not just going to immediately 
push back on that. So I think like this is so great and so powerful to talk about because we're educating women like no, if this happens to you, like you can find a clinic, you can find a doctor, you can find resources to find another way. Like, you know, don't live in this shame that this doctor just created for you kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. I've been working with a patient who was denied IVF for eight years. So she's in her fifties now and we we worked together for an hour and I gave her the tools that she needed to fight against the doctor and the clinic that had denied her and denied her. She went in with these tools, tools like just research that showed that dieting didn't work, that IVF was just as effective for people in bigger bodies and the doctor approved it finally. So it was just having wow. the tools, being able to stand up and say, you know, this, you know, this argument you're going to give me, here's the refutal. I understand the risks and I want to go ahead. I'm getting the goosebump right now. So this is very powerful for people. So is that something that you, um, is that something that, and forgive me if you've got it like on your website or on your Instagram, but is that something that you have like available for people to like that knowledge to Mm. take to their doctor? Because I, I know that if you don't, that would be like such an impactful thing because I, I already have, people asking all the time, like, how do I, you know, what do I say to my doctor and things like that? Yeah. So I've, I've written a book, Fat and Fertile. Oh, that's right. Okay. Which has got kind of a lot of research in it. And I've also got a free download of that on my website so that people can like download a PDF and take it into their doctor because there is so much research out there that is fat phobic and doesn't take into account weight stigma, weight cycling. So shows that people in bigger bodies are at bigger risks and, you know, but I found papers now that support the fact that IVF works in all bodies as long as you treat them appropriately because bigger bodies may need different things, right? Like that's yes. not unusual. And, and here, I just want to say something that's going to sound like, but I mean, you're going to invest $35,000 in treatment. A coaching session with you can avoid you a lot of headache, a lot of stress for that big investment of 35000 or even $5,000, right? So mm-hmm. this is like this empowerment, unfortunately, because this information is not readily available, you somehow have to sometimes go get it, like present your case and, and be given argument. So mm-hmm. I just want to continue on IVF because there's one more question specific and two drugs that I hear a lot about. And the, the person says, why didn't my body respond to Clomid and metformin in my IVF tre- treatment if it's not because of my weight? Mm. So Clomid and metformin are kind of used as ovulation, like inducers. They kind of cause ovulation, especially for people in PCOS where their ovulation may be completely irregular or they don't ovulate at all. Um, and metformin is, again, another drug that they use. Uh, it's a diabetes drug and they use it to kind of try and support the insulin cells and to try and regulate ovulation. So it's all about kind of regulating that cycle. And so many of the, so much of the research it just isn't done in people in bigger bodies. So I feel like for so many people, they're just not given the appropriate dose for this drug to work, which is ridiculous. That that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. But I mean, it's so obvious, right? I mean, it's just like, come on guys. Like it's not rocket science, like bigger bodies, more drugs. Well, and it's like with children, you know, it's like with my kids, I just get with a lot of things I give, they go by weight. So it's like, with kids. So, 
you know, even though my youngest daughter is almost the size of my oldest daughter, but they're three years apart, they, yeah. they almost get the same amount of like Motrin, you know? So, yeah. And it's that classic episode of Shrill that was like, when she found out that the birth, the um, the emergency contraceptive pill didn't work in her size and nobody had bothered to she didn't take, yeah. And it's just like, oh, it's just, yeah, it's madness. And it's madness that our bodies are just not taken into account and just a second thought because we take up a large amount of the population, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is like so good. Okay, so PCOS. We'll go there without, we'll do another episode just on PCOS, but... Do you have to lose weight to ovulate when you have PCOS? No, absolutely not. And again, it comes down to those health promoting behaviors. So me personally, my 100 plus day cycles, when I decided to move my body in a consistent way for joy, not for punishment, and I consistently moved my body like three times a week in a way that felt good for me, my, my cycles shrank to between 30 and 50 days overnight, like literally in a month, I could change my cycle length. And that was just such a powerful experience for me. Wow. Didn't change anything about my diet. Nothing else changed. It was just purely moving my body from a place of love and, you know, supporting myself rather than like, I ate a cake, therefore I must run like 5k, you know, that kind of mentality. And I've been able to keep consistent with it because I love it. It feels great for my body. And yeah, I'm reaping the benefits of that. And it's absolutely, my body size has not changed in the slightest. And yeah, it's so powerful. Can I get pregnant with irregular cycle on PCOS? Mm. I mean, you're the example of that, obviously. But the thing with the irregular uh, regular cycles is that you don't know when you ovulate. So that is the big problem. Like, uh, yeah. And if you are having periods, that hopefully does mean you're ovulating at some point. But we don't, we're not taught enough about our cycles to really understand what's going on. So most people don't know that it's like there's two halves of your cycle. And then you can say when you first start to bleed, that's kind of classed as your day one. And then you're supposed to have like 14 days roughly. And then you ovulate and then another roughly 14 days. And then you'll start your period again. But most people don't know in PCOS that it's the first half of that cycle that's really irregular. But the second half is actually really normally quite consistent. So once you understand that, that that first bit's irregular, then you can begin to start kind of looking out for signs of ovulation. And then once you understand like that your body shows you tricks and like things about when you're going to ovulate, because we like historically we didn't have ovulation predictor kits we could pee on to know when we ovulate, right? Right. When we were cave people, we weren't doing that before to get pregnant our bodies are innately intelligent and they will tell us like we get well libido increases when we're about to ovulate which makes total sense because species wants to continue so of course your sex drive is going to go up when it's time to make a baby so kind of I believe that by kind of listening to that by looking at a cervical mucus by you know there's all these signs and symptoms that you can tell and there's other trackers you know like there's so much technology out there now that you can use to support you in figuring out the ovulation but when you know those signs, when you know those symptoms, when you're looking for that stuff, it's totally possible to get pregnant with an irregular cycle. This one I hear a lot, uh, but this particular woman, Ashley, said the fertility diet. Apparently, there's something known as the fertility diet out there. I hear it a yeah. lot in the context of PCOS, which is, should I cut out carbs to get pregnant? Mm. You were told that, Ashley, right? 
Well, I was told to cut out carbs to quit gaining weight during my okay. pregnancy. But so is there a fertility <laughs> diet? There's a million fertility diets, right? Like if you Google fertility diet, you will see like a billion different things come up and it's all like mm-hmm. cut out everything you can imagine, you know, like cut out dairy, cut out wheat, cut out gluten, you know, like the list goes on and you've got your special fertility smoothies and you name it, it's there because the thing is like when you can't control getting pregnant, you cling on to dear life for something that you can control. And for so many people, that's food because we're in a food obsessed world. We're in a diet obsessed culture. So it feels natural to then cling on to something that you can control like food. And again, it just, but it's just another diet, right? It's just another way of restricting yourself, for punishing yourself for putting your body through something which it doesn't need to put through, you know, it's an additional stress. It just takes over your whole life. Um, And yeah, you don't need to cut anything out. Your body needs every macronutrient. It needs every form of food. And it's just about listening to what your body needs and supporting it in every way that you possibly can. Okay. So how about if we go into now you're pregnant, right? So the next series of questions was the risk of being pregnant in a bigger body. Miscarriage, for an example. Is it true that there's a higher risk of miscarriage in a bigger body. So the evidence shows that the risks are higher. And the reason I believe that the evidence shows that, because again, the evidence is fat phobic. And again, the evidence doesn't take into account weight cycling and weight stigma, which we know increases risk of things and people in bigger bodies. So for example, somebody in a bigger body um, might have been restricting themselves before they got pregnant or be restricting themselves through pregnancy. As you mentioned, Ashley, like, these things are happening. People are encouraging pregnant people to either try not to gain weight or to lose weight during pregnancy, which is such a terrible thing to tell somebody who's trying to grow a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and these things, I believe, are increasing the risk for people. And the problem with the way that they are showing these risks, the way that they are kind of telling people about these risks is that they sensationalize it. They're like, you're going to get, you're 700 times more likely to get this condition. You're you know, like 30 times more likely to get this. You are guaranteed to get this. It's made to believe that it's a, it's a given. It's going to happen to you. If you're in a bigger body, you're going to get these things. And actually the risks are still very small. So it may be two times the risk for somebody. So let me grab up. I've got the stats up. Where have they gone? Um, so for Mr. Coach, for example, so percentage of people who have an early miscarriage um, from one study was 10.5%. So for people in a quote unquote um, normal BMI, it's 10.5%. And for people who have a BMI above 30, it's 12.5%. So the increase is 2%. So it's an increase, but it's still a really small risk. And it's not something that's a given. It's not going to happen to everybody in a bigger body. Well, and I mean, you think about the whole population, like most women are in a higher BMI range. So Mm. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I'm not like a scientist. (laughs) But But yeah, I I mean, yeah. And also you, like you said, it's like, um, a lot of those women probably not to say that they I shouldn't say I not to say that they would they would be causing their body to miscarry but a lot of those women might not be nourishing themselves like they should be because they're trying to be in a smaller body I don't know 
Well, and, and we haven't like the whole emotional component, like I'm a holistic based practitioner mm-hmm. and we, we don't have studies yet to show the impact of emotion on our tissue, including the fertility tissue, like the, this event of bringing up a new person in our body. But I can guarantee you that a stressed body, for whatever reason, will have a much higher risk of miscarriage. And if we could single that out in the study, we would see that the cause is likely not the weight, but the stress incurred by the weight. Is that your opinion, Nicola? Yeah, I mean, weight stigma is a stress, isn't it, on the body? Like the people are facing these stresses on their body that they should not be put under. Like fertility stuff is stressful enough without, you know, your doctor then telling you, okay, well, now you're at an increased risk of this, an increased risk of this. And it's about informed consent, right? These people would happily take on these additional risks if they were given the opportunity by their doctors to say like, okay, well, the risks of this, here they are in black and white. If you consent to that, that's fine. Like people would happily take on these risks because we know that the risk of dieting is way worse. Mm-hmm. It's going to have so much more havoc in your body and your mental health than, than any of these slight increased risks would be. And of course we want to reduce those risks, but I feel like reducing those risks is creating a medical system where weight stigma and all these additional stresses don't occur for these people. Yeah. Can we talk about quickly the risk or talk about gestational diabetes and preeclampsia for bigger body women? Mm. And again, it's a similar thing. So let me grab up my stats. Um, Gestational diabetes. So with a quote unquote normal BMI, it's like between 80 and 25 um, BMI is 2.3, the percentage of people who'd be diagnosed with gestational diabetes. And for people over 30, it's 5.5. So the risk doubles, but it's still 95% of people will not get diabetes when they have a BMI of 30. So they make it sound like it's inevitable. And it's not an inevitable. It's just, it just, it happens to every sized body. It's I know. And then it's like, then again, every, literally every woman I know that had GD while they were pregnant was in a smaller body. Yes. It's just like... You know, but it's still just five percent. Is that what you said of the population? Yeah. So that you have ninety-five percent risk of not having it. Yes. How about if we talk about that? Exactly. Why can't that be the the headline? Yeah. Most people are going to have a healthy and happy pregnancy. There we go. Yeah. And it's the same thing for preeclampsia, right? Yeah. So again, the risk like for BMI is like 3.3. I know, sorry. That's yeah. 3.3 for 18 to 24. And then for 30 to 34, it's 7.7. So again, it's a higher risk, but it's still a really small risk. And people are like doctors are using this increased risk to force people in bigger bodies to have C-sections. Like the risk, the the rate of people who have a C-section in bigger bodies is much higher. And I feel that that's just really taking away somebody's choice about their birth. You know, it should be a choice based on all the available evidence, but it's a choice at the end of the day. So I have a question. What is, um, this might be a silly question that everyone else knows the answer to, but maybe not. What is the um, benefit for a doctor to do a C-section over a vaginal delivery? Great question. 
Probably not one that I can fully answer, but my right. instinct, because I don't kind of work with birds, but my instinct is that it's managed, right? Like this, we see big bodies as dangerous, like somebody in a bigger body, oh, you know, they're going to be unhealthy. There's going to be all these complications. So I think it's seen as the kind of safe managed option. Um, and I, for, to be honest, I believe that these doctors think that we can't labor and birth our own children. Like they're going to be big babies. You're going to struggle. It's going to be difficult for you. Um, so we'll just give you the easy option and make you do a C-section. Like I think it's really taken that way. I will say that across the board, like no matter what size woman you are, doctors push C-sections. And I think it also has something to do with like insurance and payments and like what I think what I've heard is that they can make more money that way. Really? Yes. Well, in the U.S. at least. Yes. Because I have a lot of friends. I mean, it used to be very, very common for women um, to just be pregnant and go ahead and just schedule a C-section, a planned C-section, just because they didn't want to deal with vaginal birth. Um, And I will say I had a very fortunate um, experience with that. My first pregnancy was vaginal. My second pregnancy, I had, I can't think of the name of it. It's when you have too much fluid um, that came on when I was like 34 weeks Um, so at 37 weeks, they induced me, but my Pearl, she could like at 37 weeks and she was like almost a nine pound baby. She was doing flips. Like I could see her. So I was like laying on the hospital bed, getting induced and I could see her flipping. And I'm like, guys, (laughs) and they had like started to induce me, um, to have her naturally. And I was like, no, no this scares me like this. I, I, and my doctor kept being like, are you sure? Like you pushed out a 10 pound baby before. Like, I hate to have to give you a C-section. And I was like, honestly, I don't like, I didn't, I actually made the call to do the C-section because it really scared me because she kept moving and flipping over. And there's a lot that can happen there with so much fluid I had. So I had a C-section and it was a wonderful experience. Um, I had four, liters of extra fluid they said oh my gosh so it was like niagara falls (laughs) trying not to be gross here but um so it just it can be like really dangerous when you actually give birth vaginally with all of that fluid and if the baby's moving around and all that but um, that was actually, it was nice to have a doctor who was like, I, I really am not like pushing a C-section on you and stuff. But I, it is very common. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I'm going to look into that more and see why that's such a thing that they push for. So let's talk about the birthing process, not in how to birth, but more about how are women in bigger body should have the same option as women in regular BMI. Example, as you said, home birth, natural birth. Mm. Is that something that you can talk to? Like, Yeah, I mean, I felt so disempowered in both my births. I felt like I wasn't listened to when I wanted to kind of birth on all fours and I wanted to move around. They pushed continuous monitoring on me. And like when you're in that space of laboring, like – time goes all crazy and you can't really make fully formed decisions because you're in this 
otherworldly place. And I didn't get the birthing experiences that I wanted because of the way I was treated and I wasn't respected and I wasn't, I wasn't kind of given, like, I didn't feel like I was consenting to things. Things were just pushed on me and yeah, it was really disempowering. And I'm, I feel quite sad about that. I felt that way too. And I don't know, I feel like I hear this from a lot of women just in general. It's, um, you just really have to advocate for yourself and fight for yourself. I think my first part, my first birth was awful. I actually, um, and this doesn't have anything to do with weight stigma, but about having like advocating for yourself. So I had my daughter who has a heart defect, but so I gave birth to her. They put her on my chest. We didn't know anything was wrong with her. She was pink. She was 10 pounds and crying, whatever, put her on, they put her on me and she starts breathing really rapidly. And I look up at the nurse and I said, is she supposed to be breathing this way? And they, oh, honey, she is just learning how to breathe. You're a first time mom. You need to calm down. I, for like like 18 hours after that, every time a nurse came by, I would ask them. And then the pediatrician on call came and I would ask her, oh, she's fine. She's fine. She's just learning how to breathe. But like, I knew that something was not right. And sure enough, they finally checked her oxygen levels and realized that something was seriously wrong. And then we found out that night that she has a heart defect. But um, so I think for me, when it came to my second pregnancy, I knew I trusted my doctor more than I had ever trusted a doctor. And I also just wanted like, I just wanted everything to be like safe and smooth. And like, I I had such a traumatic experience the first time, but I love, I will say that I, um, sorry, I'm getting like lost in my thoughts here. So with the first pregnancy though, it was very much like I had like a birth plan and like ideas of how I want to do things. And like, I get in there and that was like never even part of an option. Like I had to like, if I really felt strongly about something, I would have to like bring it up. And like, it's just a very, it's just bizarre to me because so many people who work in labor and delivery, like the nurses and stuff are women. And it just feels like not a very supportive environment. And it's, I'm hoping one day that that will change, but, um, I even have here in Atlanta, there is a birthing center. Um, I've had friends go there and they do like their natural births through them or water births. But if you have to go to the hospital, you end up going to one of the worst hospitals for, labor and delivery. And I have a friend that she was doing a water birth at home and had to go to the hospital and had to sit in the waiting room for like... In the, in the middle of, in the middle of yes. her birth? Yes. Oh, lovely. Oh my God. And by the time they got her back, she like, they, they had a water tub there. She like got in the tub and like he came, he came out. <laughs> but like, you know, it's just like, well, if you do choose to do, and that's part of the reason why I'll honestly say that's part of the reason why I didn't go that route because it didn't feel like there was enough support, supportive options like that here. But it's like, if you decide that you want to do that, 
you should be able to have support that way. And that's, it sounds like your, your experience was not supportive at all. So. And the birthing center wasn't an option for me. So there was a birthing center attached to the hospital where I gave birth, but because of my BMI, that wasn't an option. Wow. Are you serious? Mm -hmm. That's wow. So one last question, and that's going to go at the, like, should I freeze my egg? I'm not sure why that would be a question. And I'm assuming there's a fertility question raising behind that. But as a bigger woman, should I freeze my eggs? So, yeah. So I think the, the backstory behind yeah. this is it was a woman who was a bit older, who hadn't found her partner yet and um, wanted to know whether to freeze her eggs, whether it was a good option. Okay. Because obviously, as you get older, they say that your eggs decline. So it's if you can catch it as soon as you can, like there is some evidence to support that but the, the the problem with freezing eggs is it's still quite a really it's really new technology still like we don't have a pe- lot of people who've gone through the process of freezing their eggs and then using them later on in terms of fertility treatment and i think the biggest i don't but i don't think there's any problem with it in a bigger body but the problem with it will be finding someone to support you in a bigger body and that again going back to the ivf centers with the bmi barriers it's finding the right place to support you and freezing your eggs is such a personal choice. It should be something that you should speak to a doctor about and speak to a counselor about and we get a really good team around you to support you in making that decision. But I think that choice is being denied from a lot of people in bigger bodies because they can't find a clinic to support them in that. And they can't find a clinic that's going to talk them through the options and give them ethical sensible advice about whether this is a good idea for them because their body shouldn't come into it but the their body is the kind of the barrier that's kind of stopping them from being able to access these services and get that support that they need to make the decision so i have a question so um generally speaking and this is what we kind of say about health other health issues as well being in a bigger body does not mean that you that it's holding you back from getting pregnant. And these women who are trying to start fertility treatments and are being turned down because of their weight, or um, I do know that some some insurance companies require that you try Clomid for six months and try all these things for. But we just what everybody needs is like the tools to fight back mm-hmm. and push back. Right. Yeah. Because being in a bigger body, there's no actual scientific evidence saying this is what's causing your infertility. It's not causing infertility. It might be that a lot of women who are having fertility issues happen to also be Mm. or in a bigger body, but that's not causing it. Right. Right. Because there's so much underlying stuff, right? Like if you start to get into the root problems with this, there is the PCOS aspects that's causing irregular ovulation often, or there's other stuff going on. But again, like it's nothing to do with the size of your body. All people who are going through this have a variety of things that are going on. And so often they'll use the term unexplained infertility, which means that they haven't found the reason for it, but they're just going to carry on with IVF anyway. Like it's almost like women's health and like, women's reproductive systems aren't worth investigating. They're just going to jump straight to IVF regardless of what the issue is going on. And I think that's a big mistake because our 
fertility is a reflection of our health in general. Like it's not a system that's separate from us, that's just happily tootling along doing its own thing. It's squished in there with our digestion, with our liver, with our kidney, you know, like all our other stuff going on. And it is just another reflection of our health. And if there's something going wrong there, we've got to take it as part of a bigger picture of there's something going on. And it's really important that we get to the bottom of that to support our health. And I think so much of that is being overlooked. So the the non-mother will share an experience with her cycle if she can. <laughs> yes. So um, I'm typically regular 28, 30 days. I'm 44 years old and I don't have premenopause, just like it's not in my picture yet. However, for the last two months, my cycle was expanding to like 40 days. Last time was 40 days and now was like at the 37th day, which is completely irregular for me. Knowing what I know, I knew that I had a lot of tension in my hips. So I brought myself over to my osteopath to do like tissue release. And guess what happened 48 hours later? Wow. <laughs> I had my period. <laughs> and my osteopath was in there, not in my vagina, but on top of my, like my abdomen and working. It says you got like your ovary is tense. Like literally wow. the tissue around the ovary was tense. I wonder how that is the struggle of how many women, like there's so much tension, perhaps because we sit all day long that just by simply releasing the tissue, we could be releasing part of our fertility issue as well. Well, I have heard of a lot of women doing like acupressure, acupuncture, chiropractic stuff. That's, I, I've heard of a lot of women doing that and swearing by that. I don't know if you have any experience with that, Nicola, but yeah, I mean, as an acupuncturist, I'm totally biased, but oh, I like, forgot. <laughs> yes, so much success for people with acupuncture. Like, honestly, like they'll come in, like you said, it's definitely like 24 hours, 48 hours later, they'll have their periods, and it's just like their cycles regulate, and it's just it's magical. Wow, You're, you guys are making me want to go start acupuncture. Yes. <laughs> So we're going to wrap this up, but I think that's the most important part of the podcast now, which is what is the next step for a woman in a bigger body, either struggling with fertility or pregnant, but worried about the pregnancy process? Like where do they go to get more information and to perhaps work with you, Nicola? So they can check out my book. That's a really good first step, whether you are pregnant or on the journey to get pregnant. It's got some really useful information about advocating for yourself, about like tools to support your mental health, your physical health. It's called Fat and Fertile and it's on Amazon. I have a free group that you can come and join on Facebook that's Fat and Fertile as well. Um, and there's about 500 women there at the moment who are just the most supportive. It's a weight loss free, diet free group. So we don't talk about like numbers. We don't talk about diets. It's just a really supportive place where people can share recommendations and share what they're going through and share success stories. That's amazing. Thank you. I just, I, I just feel so strongly. Like I, I, so many women are just living. I, it breaks my heart. The messages I have just sitting in my DMS right now of women who can't stop blaming themselves for having issues, trying to conceive and fertility problems. And, um, Shame is so powerful and how it can really like be embedded in us um, for years and years and years. And I just think it's so important that if you're listening to this and you're going through, if you're trying to get pregnant or if you're already pregnant and you just 
finding support and finding women who are going through the same thing is so incredibly powerful and work on letting go of that shame because that shame that you're feeling is not real. Um, Just because you're in a bigger body does not mean that you've done anything wrong and that um, you shouldn't be able to have a baby, I feel like. So I just want to encourage people to go to your group, join that. And um, that PDF that you have, I think is amazing. Like I want to, I'm going to download that and have that information for myself handy whenever I need it as well. And you work one-on-one with people, correct, Nicola? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I do coaching around all this stuff around like creating a healthcare plan that doesn't involve weight loss, about advocating for yourself, about kind of retraining those negative beliefs that we've been told about. You can't get pregnant. You can't get pregnant. You can't get pregnant. So there's all the different pieces of the puzzle, which I think are so important for people, especially in bigger bodies that need to get, that go through this. So I'm going to put the links to all of that in the show notes for everybody to refer that quickly. I just want to say from, from a practitioner, I know I refer out to people like Nicola. And if you are someone in a bigger body, I always advise to find someone who has a lived experience, either in a bigger body, because the perspective is completely different. Like what Nicola will offer you versus a regular fertility coach will be completely two different world. And you will fast track your journey working with somebody who understand your current situation emotionally and physically. So that's my piece of advice for people listening. Thank you. Yep. I love it. Anything you want to say, Ashley, before closing? I'm just so excited to be able to share this with my community. Um, And for people listening that haven't heard of House of Duro, that's my blog. Um, I started it a couple of year ago, years ago to empower women. And we talk a lot about body image and um, anti-diet stuff. Uh, I also do plus size fashion um, and size inclusive fashion. And I'm just like, my goal is to cheer you on, whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey. Um, but yeah, I cannot wait to share this. I know that everybody is going to get so much out of this. So thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. Um, I know uh, we all have Instagrams that you can put in the show notes, but I'm just Ashley Duro on Instagram. Um, And yeah, I'm excited to see this all come together and hear everyone's feedback. And I'll also link to the work we've been doing together, Ashley, around education on the IGTV. Yes. Because I think that's a great place to start as well around intuitive eating and health at every size. Yes. So we've been, I've been working um, one-on-one with Stephanie over um, IGTV therapy sessions um, on getting, working through my chronic dieting um, and actually just really digging through these layers of everything that diet culture has kind of, uh, laid on me, uh, just my whole life. So, um, it's just really, it could be very helpful for those of you who might, um, be struggling with really anything that has to do with health, wellness, exercise, um, any of that. So it's all, it's all in my IGTV and stuff. I'm just gonna leave it. And it's great for, I want to say for people who are not yet perhaps trying to conceive, but are, are thinking like two, three, four years down the road, if you can do this work before, 
Yes. And I see Nicola shaking her head. If you can mm-hmm. do the intuitive eating now and like the whole piece, the relationship to exercise, that will fast track your fertility. Correct, Nicola? So powerful. If you can do this work ahead of it. Yes. Smooth sailing, right? Yes. Thank you very much, ladies. I think this is going to be one of those Bible episodes uh, that's going to serve many women. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank Thank you you so so much much for like providing this platform. And I love it. I can't wait. Thank you. Thank you. There you have it, ladies. Isn't that a mind blower? Crazy. Okay, so here's your homework. In the two groups, if you are a woman who's not seeking fertility or pregnancy, your homework is to keep abreast of this issue and support other women going through this and read a New York Times article that I linked in the show note. And this article was published in June 2019. It is called When You're Told You're Too Fat to Get Pregnant. Inside of this article, uh, you will have a ton of science and more um, stories of other women going through this. If you are a woman looking to get pregnant or currently in a state of pregnancy, you need to join Nicola Frey, Free Facebook group and download her free guide and participate in the learning and the education she provides so you can stand tall and in your power with your medical team and read the New York Times article as well. If you feel that this interview, this podcast helped you and it was powerful enough, please leave us a review. It really helps showing the podcast to other women. This kind of topic will never appear on the top research of Google. This is a grassroots movement. You need to empower the podcast through your review to be shown to more people. So go leave your review in either iTunes, Stitcher. And if you left a review before, leave another one on this particular episode about this topic. Again, just to boost the podcast to be seen to more people. I love you, sister. And I look forward to hang out with you again in the next episode. Mm -hmm.